Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Matamor Cronin. And I'm Justin Clark. And today we're discussing the future of aviation. And today I want to get right into the meat of the discussion, which is how aviation is going to change in the future. And to that end, I want to open it up with a quote from a pilot. The pilot's name is Adam Webster. And he says, It is a fairly unpopular notion to suggest to pilots that their days are numbered as meaningful participants in the actual flying of the machine. Even my own pilot ego gets a little confused at the notion that there isn't much need for me. But the stark reality is that pilots are increasingly monitors of systems. So what are your thoughts on the role of pilots as monitors of systems? And would you be willing to fly in a plane that was fully automated? Yeah. So, I mean, right now, planes are mostly automated. The pilot really has, the, as far as I'm aware, the pilot is mostly um, doing something during takeoff and landing. The, whole, the bulk of the flight, while it's in the air, and navigating to the final destination is pretty much all autopilot. Right. So I've even heard that a lot of the takeoff and landing is done autonomously now that really it's the, the taxiing part, like, you know, driving (laughs) on ground to the appropriate gate, that that's actually the main part that's, you know, totally manual. Everything else is, is like monitoring of systems. Yeah, and and I don't want to discount the the monitoring of systems because it's that's one of those things where you don't even if the plane messes up like 0.001% of the time, that's extremely catastrophic. Yeah. So, you know, so it's it's important especially now to have the monitors um but long term as AI gets better and better, I would be fairly confident saying that the monitors are, you know, probably going to be out of a job eventually, like the like that um, pilot in the yeah. quote you mentioned. I mean, airline safety has gotten so much better over the years. Like, for instance, in the year 1970, there were almost 2,400 people who died in that year alone from wow. airplane crashes worldwide. And the number in 2017 is like... 20 people or 40 people I, I can't see you know it's it's in yeah. increments of 500 but it's very small <laughs> a very small number of people who die so even like the air max uh you know plane that went down recently and mm-hmm. everyone was horrified you know the fact that we were horrified because it was such an unexpected event for a plane to go down just shows how rare these collisions are and yeah. just to put some numbers to it Airplane crashes are 200 times less common than automobile crashes. So if you're worried about dying in a plane flight, you should be way more worried about dying in your car. And Mm. the actual odds, according to The Economist, of you dying in your next flight is about 1 in 5.4 million. Wow. So it's it's pretty low (laughs) odds that, that you'll die. Yeah. No, that's that's actually um, that's something that I've kind of been aware of. You know, if if anyone's ever afraid of flying, you just hear like, oh, yeah, planes are safer than cars. But having a number on it really drives that point home. Yeah, totally. Well, anyways, I think the next topic that we should talk about is specifically commercial air air travel, because Uh that's something everyone, probably all of our listeners are familiar with. 
And we should think about how we foresee that changing and evolving going forward, even mm-hmm. beyond pilotless planes. Okay. So I guess, how do you envision the whole experience changing going forward? Yeah, so um, this is, it kind of starts from the airport, in my opinion, because, you know, if you're flying private, that kind of, you know, you don't really have to deal with airports. But with a commercial airline, you go through the airport, you know, check-in process, the security lines, and all of this seems archaic to me. Every time I go to an airport, I'm just frustrated out of my mind because I'm sitting in insecurity for you know several well seemingly hours but it's you know i don't know 30 to 45 minutes i i always think that that can be improved and i think as ai and image recognition gets better and better and maybe even scanners get better and better all that needs to happen is anyone who walks through the door of an airport is just scanned and that's your security is walking through the door of the airport oh yeah there's probably there's probably even going to be some sort of um, you know, security system that's monitoring everybody all the time in the airport. So there's no way to like, you know, get past it. I just think right now, the fact that we have this huge bottleneck of security and you have to get to the airport, you know, this many hours before your flight actually leaves, is just kind of frustrating yeah, and a waste a, of time. idiotic. I mean, the only reason they have you check in is so if you don't check in, they can give your seat to someone else, basically. And I guess that gives them time to do a security check on you, but yeah. it does seem totally needless, needless point of friction. And uh, I don't know, did you see the tweet that I shared on the Hence the Future Twitter about the Chinese airport security system? I don't think so, no. What, what was it? So anyways, there's this American reporter who you know, covers China technology, and he's in this airport in China, mm-hmm. And he just goes right up to the screen, you know, where you see like, you know, where your flight is, is it on time? Mm -hmm. And this immediately recognizes his face and gives him the actual path to his next flight and all the information. So he doesn't have to like search through a bunch of rows to find his information. It just recognizes him and then it shows him the information that's exactly specific to him. And notice that he did not input his information at any point. He never scanned his face for the Chinese government. He's not even a Chinese citizen, but they have this data on him. Wow. It's kind of scary, but kind of awesome. (laughs) Right, right. I mean, that's why the, the, you know, tweet was impressive or terrifying was the, you know, the message. (laughs) But, but yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of things like that. And as someone who travels a lot, for for work and you know for personal you know i envision a situation where you don't have to check in you know i think that's totally archaic like you said you get to the airport i mean i'm a clear member which Mm -hmm. you know for those that don't know this is a new system that tsa implemented at some of their bigger airports where all you do is you scan some of your biometric data so you know either it's two of your four fingers your thumb it'll could scan your retina it can do a facial recognition and then they just take you right to the front of security. You don't have to wait in line at all. And then yep. your baggage goes through. You don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to take out your toiletries. You don't have to take out your laptop. It just goes into this because the likelihood of you doing something bad based on their analysis is very low. Mm-hmm. And then you proceed to your gate and 
you know, the boarding a plane process is also very stressful. So one innovation that I saw that was really interesting was actually a patent by Boeing, which is for compartments that actually load into the plane. So imagine that while you're waiting at the gate, you actually get in the, the seat that you're going to sit in during the flight. And then whenever the plane is ready, it just lowers that entire pod into the airplane. So you don't have to like spend any time, you know, getting seated. There's always like the huh. shuffle for baggage. It's basically like you can prepare everything in advance before the plane is even ready. So right when the plane gets there, they remove the capsule that has all like the dirty seats and the people mm -hmm. from the previous flight and they load in the new capsule. And this would revolutionize the amount of time it takes for turnaround uh, for these flights. Wow, that's I've never heard of that. That's pretty yeah. cool. It doesn't and, exist yet, but the, the patent has been yeah, filed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think any sort of improvements on the logistics is only going to improve as technology gets better. Like as the capabilities of robots, you know, I'm sure there's gonna be some sort of robotic arm that, you know, loads this in. Like as all of the manufacturing and everything um, cat, uh, catches up to speed with these ideas then I think we're going to see these really awesome innovations. The other thing that you mentioned um, with the guy who got in China who got the path to his final destination, mm -hmm. that kind of uh, makes me think of how the layout of the airports themselves um, can be optimized. Oh, totally. Um, I, yeah, mean, I mean, San there's... Francisco airport is, is eons better <laughs> than LAX airport as far as how it's designed. Uh-huh. I mean, the amount of yeah. time it takes to get you a lift is like 5x at LAX as it is at SFO. Yeah. So one thing I've been interested in recently is how architecture designed by humans is like square, like kind of boxy and mm. doesn't have this fluid sort of design. And when AI creates designs or architectures or buildings, um, and it has kind of free reign over over the path and the layout, they build in a lot of redundancy, or these algorithms build in a lot of redundancy, which is actually something we see in nature a lot. Hmm. So if you see how um, ants, you know, they take a path to some, you know, some giant food source, there's a lot of different paths and a lot of redundancy in their paths. But the nice thing about that is you can um, cut from one place to the opposite side of the airport, for example, without having to walk around everything. Right, Whereas most airports right. you have to, like if you want to turn around and go somewhere totally different, you have to just go back the exact same way that you came in. And you know, that oh, takes yeah. a lot of walking time. So, I mean, it, yeah, oftentimes it seems like the, the ways that humans design things is like if you were to design something on the back of a napkin with just the <laughs> least cognitive load, like, uh -huh. Oh yeah, let's design seats. Let's just create them, you know, all parallel squished together one after the other. And you can only mm. push your seat back two inches and, yeah. and the seats are like just basically a cardboard, <laughs> like up and down. There's like no ergonomics considered whatsoever. Mm. I mean, it's pretty terrible the way, I mean, obviously it's amazing that we can fly at all. So, you know, thank yeah. you to the Wright brothers, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I've seen some concepts that definitely going to be sharing on our Instagram, which show a completely different type of in-flight experience. 
Like imagine if instead of having a bunch of seats squished together one after another, you had pods, you know, and this sounds something like, you know, more like what an AI system would, would, uh, mm. would uh, design. So if you yeah. have these pods where you're in your own personal area, you know, you have mm. some semblance of privacy if you want to sleep and not have a bunch of light from the person next to you and, you know, noise from the baby in front of you, you've got your own little area. And, you know, you can have pods sort of like on different planes where they're not all on the same level. So you could fit more of them in there. Maybe you just keep yeah. your luggage like next to you in case you need it. Um, mm. And, you know, obviously, once you get into the luxury, like private jets, you can create the most phenomenal experiences <sighs> ever. But that's only yeah. accessible to very few people. So I don't I don't think it makes sense for us to linger yeah. much on that. Mm. But so, I mean they kind of have that right now and it's just called first class. So, the, <laughs> yeah, but it's, I mean, it's much more boring than these concepts that, Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I think probably the reason they do that now is just because, you know, they're trying to fit in the maximum amount of people that they can get into the plane, which I guess makes sense from a business perspective because they need something to keep the lights on. Cause I know, you know, running an airline is one of the least profitable things anybody can do. Um, I think it's a super unprofitable industry. So they're like barely breaking even. So I'm sure they have to break or they have to do everything they can to get the most amount of people. on the Yeah. Planes. Well, I mean, what's interesting is that you're right that it is really hard to make a profit in moving people from point A to point B via air travel. But apparently the freight industry is just has unbridled demand. Like there is so uh, much okay. demand to take packages all over the country that these mm. mega planes of, you know, UPS or whatever yep. are just, you know, they can't make enough of them and they can't have enough flights because there's so much demand. But with wow. passenger jets, you know, people are a lot more fickle. They're a lot more price conscious. And mm -hmm. so, you know, small and me and medium-sized planes tend to dominate for commercial air travel because they want to fill every single seat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, also with cargo, you can stack it vertically. Like with humans, right. we can't we can't be packed in there like sardines. As much as it feels like we are sometimes, you know, it's not we're not being you know laid on top of one another, which right, <laughs> makes it a little right. better. Yeah. Um, have you seen those those concepts for planes that um, extend the body of the plane and the seating area of the plane kind of into the wings? So it's no, almost I like seen that. there's there's sort of a fluid um, design from the the main capsule to the wings, so people are actually mm. sitting on the wings. Wow. So maybe there are five, six, seven or maybe even 10 rows of, or um, groups of rows. So total, maybe 20 or 30 rows of people. Wow. Or, sorry, I guess. You mean horizontally that, across. Yeah, horizontally. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. That's how many would be in each row, would be 20 per row. Wow. Um, wow. So it's it's a super wide, we, we should probably, I'll, I'll find an image of this so, so we yeah, can share it. Yeah, send that to me, yeah. Um, but I think that might be another way that, uh, we can improve the, you know, the capacity and, but also the space per person. And that might be a perfect area to, um, you know, do these capsules that you were talking about. So, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, the boarding process is is key because that's a big area of frustration. I mean, if anyone has, if you haven't seen the Key and Peel sketch about that, it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it's basically like they, he's like, oh, nice, I'm in group one. And then they're like, all right, pre-boarding, pre-boarding, okay, children, military, first class, you know, second class, <laughs> mileage plus. And it's like all these different things. And then finally they call group one. And it has become this just weird status game where like everyone just pays like, you know, nickels and dimes to get to the higher level up. And, you know, it's like a mini feudal kingdom (laughs) within every flight. So by having people already ready to load, you know, that Uh would eliminate a lot of that. But that might be to the airline's disadvantage because price discrimination is, is big business. And, you know, so basically, if, if for those who don't know, airlines charge different prices for, you know, for different people all the time. So you're not always getting the same price as someone else would get, um, depending on your purchase history. If they know you're a big spender, if they know you buy upgrades, then they might give you a better price. If you're someone who's like a total cheapskate and just gets the minimum of everything, they might give you a slightly higher price. Um and so one, one tip that I'll give our listeners is whatever price you're getting, like open up an incognito window and see if the price is any different there. And this yeah, is especially they save cookies, exactly they save cookies on you yeah. or just clear your cachet. Um, yeah. But it, it can also work to your advantage if you're if you do tend to get upgrades. So, you know, it's worth checking both, in my opinion. Um, but price discrimination could get a lot more extreme um, going forward simply because airlines are going to have so much more information about each person. Yeah. Um, so what I'm, I'm curious to know also, like with um, the future of airplanes, what do you think about different energy sources like electric yeah, planes yeah. or, you know, anything beyond that? If there's nuclear planes that would somehow be safe, you know, that's potentially an option too. But Right. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I would sign up for that (laughs) nuclear planes right just yet (laughs) um but anyways yeah so electric planes do exist today you can fly on an electric plane and it'll be a a great experience i'm sure the caveat is that it's a very small plane you know two people maybe four people can fit in it and the reason why it must be so small is because just due to physics Every time you double the size, or sorry, anytime you double the mass of an airplane, the fuel requirements go up by like 8x. Um, So, and the problem Mm -hmm. is that in order to double that capacity with electric energy, you need to, you know, 8x the size of the battery. And batteries are really heavy. So it actually ends up being a lot. Uh, worse than just having a smaller plane because you need these super heavy batteries. And that's okay if you're mm-hmm. using fossil fuels because fossil fuels are really powerful, you know, pound for pound. Right. But one thing that I, I did think was really smart is there are some concepts now and I think some actual versions of hybrid planes. So these are planes oh, that okay. use electric energy and they use fossil fuel like, you know, gasoline or propane or whatever or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and basically the way it works is that on takeoff and landing they use electric energy 
but then when they're actually up in the atmosphere the upper yeah. atmosphere then they use their jet you know the jet engine with fossil fuel energy to really just go as fast as they can to get to the destination mm-hmm. so that's one way to you know minimize carbon footprint another yeah. way that i've heard proposed is biofuel so if okay. we already have you know if we already have thousands of cows producing cow dung why not just use that <laughs> dung for our planes cuz you know it's got to go somewhere yeah. anyways and you know yeah. same thing with other types of biofuels mm. yeah i mean there's there's so many up and coming areas in the energy space that surely you know at some point it's just going to be economically infeasible to use fossil fuels um you know and the upside to that too is it's better for the environment right. so that might be electric that might be some insane source that we haven't you know heard of Um, and the price of fossil fuels is expected to double over the next 20 years yeah well good i hope it does (laughs) um but yeah i mean if we can because one of the things that i'm hoping for with uh cleaner energy is there are just more frequent plane uh there are more frequent flights anywhere in the world um, and they don't cost as much because it doesn't cost as much for the airline to make these giant flights. Totally. Um, and so what I what I envision at some point is, and maybe this is getting into a best case vision for me. Um, so sorry if I repeat something later, but <laughs> if there's a a sort of system where the logistics that we talked about are so fine-tuned that you basically just walk into an airport and then you can get on an airplane. Um, maybe if the energy efficiency catches up to this, so the cost of being on airplanes and the cost of running airplanes is relatively small, then you can almost treat airplanes like buses. Like if, like, oh, there's a plane today leaving at every 30 minutes going to LA right. or going, going to London. Let's just get on that plane. Let's catch the 230 plane to London. And you can yeah. sort of treat it that way. Yeah, I mean, that kind of gets back to what we talked about in the future of transportation, where, uh-huh. you know, if you imagine a situation where every car is a self driving car and it can all be managed from one central location, then you mm-hmm. can have these cars just going, you know, at all times, you know, bumper mm-hmm. to bumper, no collisions. It'll be super streamlined. And the analogy we used in that episode was the circulatory system, right? I mean, if yeah. you think about how your body propagates blood to all of the different parts of your, of your body, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't do it in like big clots of blood that go out every once in a while. Like that would be a yeah. very inefficient way. Instead, it's pumping out small, you know, small little pods of blood every second, every heartbeat mm-hmm. going out. So you could imagine a situation, just like you said, where you go to an airport and they, you know, because everything is fully automated and it's been queued up to the T, every 30 minutes or every 15 minutes, there's a new flight going from L.A. to San Francisco or L.A. to New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so you can just, you know, hop on whatever one makes the most sense. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that just logistically, that makes a lot of sense. I just the one thing that I would hope doesn't happen 
it, I hope we can reduce the noise of planes first. Because yes, if, yes. if we have like all that noise, if we increase the amount of planes in the sky by like 10x. Uh, well, that's, <laughs> that's interesting you say that because when I was researching the hybrid planes, they would, do, they would go electric for takeoff and landing, but they would also go electric when they're going over a city for that exact reason. So it would, would be more quiet uh, over okay. cities because electric planes make basically no noise. Okay. So you could set it up in such a way where whenever you're going over a, an urban center, you just turn to, you switch to electric. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, well, that makes a lot of sense then. Um, and I, I hope something that, you know, I think being an electric uh, or having electric airplanes or at least having hybrid airplanes, like you said, um, is probably a prerequisite to this, um, you know, 10, 20, 100 Xing the amount of planes in the sky. Right. Now there are also solar powered unmanned aerial vehicles that exist today. Mm -hmm. So they're really small, right? They're really small. So, you know, you can't be a passenger in one of these things yet. Um, but the cool thing about them is they never have to land. They literally take their energy from the sun and they can just fly basically forever. I mean, you know, something will may, may go wrong that eventually they need to be serviced. Yeah, but, they run into a hurricane or something. Yeah, but it's pretty incredible that these things can fly around, take power from the sun, and just do their thing without any input. And typically these solar-powered UAVs are used for surveillance, so they'll fly very high up above whatever countries we're trying to keep tabs on. And, you know, just record bird's eye view of that and, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. um, you know, ultraviolet light or thermo yeah, yeah, yeah. sensors or whatever they're using. And, you know, that's a great way for us to keep tabs on the world. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's feasible that one day we could have solar powered planes. Maybe it doesn't seem possible today, but I, I certainly wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much that can happen in 100 years that you know, something, something will probably happen to make something like that feasible. Yeah. Well, have you, uh, have you heard about Amazon's like air fleet plan? No. Or, their mother, or like the mothership. So basically Amazon <laughs> has this plan to fly gigantic, you know, Zeppelins, you know, big balloons that are basically okay. the Amazon mothership that will be in different areas. So you could imagine like you have one right outside uh, the Coliseum in Los Angeles, you know, right during a football game, let's say. And okay. you have this giant thing up there and it stores all of the things that people would typically buy during the game. So you can literally order food or drinks or whatever you want, merchandise, you know, of your favorite teams, hats, whatever. You could order it from your phone and then these little mini drones come out of the mothership carrying your package and deliver it right to you in your seat. And, you know, Bezos has plans to basically have these flying around like everywhere so that you could have anything delivered within 15 minutes, like basically anywhere, as long as it's near one of these motherships. Wow. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know how I feel about that but from, from a first, you know, first perspective. But so, you know, on, on first glance, that seems like overkill, you know, to have that much. <laughs> but, yeah. but at the same time, that would be really cool to, you know, if you needed something 
you know, if you were in a dire situation and you needed this thing right away, then that would be awesome. As long as it wasn't, you know, something super disruptive, you know, yeah. that would, that would be, that would be my, my only concern with something like that. But I mean, that's kind of my concern with the, um, the planes too, is just as long as they can be relatively unseen and yeah. unheard, yeah. which is kind of a theme that we talk about, like technology right. should be good enough that we don't see it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That, that's interesting. So I want to I want to touch on a couple other innovations in commercial air travel before getting into military because there's some there's some cool stuff in the military sector. Um, okay. But anyways, I want to talk a little bit about the in-flight experience. We already touched on it a little bit. We talked about pods instead of regular seats that only go back two inches, and there's screaming babies <laughs> right next to you, and fat guys stealing all the space on the armrest, and all that horrible <laughs> experience. Um, another thing that's a cool innovation are windowless planes and these are already being developed and basically the way it works is there's no windows but they have cameras on the sides of the plane and they project the outside video image to the inside mm -hmm. of the plane so essentially the all of the walls are windows quote unquote where you can see outside and uh -huh. I mean, this is just visually stunning when you see the, the, the concept images. Uh -huh. um, so that that's a very cool way to, you know, just make planes feel a lot more magical when you're in them flying, you know, that high above. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good views from that. And it's it's always annoying when you can't really see out the window. So and especially if you're so I was um, in the southern hemisphere and for whatever reason, at least where I was the um lights or the the stars in the sky were seemingly 10 times brighter than wow. than in the northern hemisphere um this was from a trip back from new zealand but they i mean i i saw basically it seemed like the center of the milky way galaxy like i could wow. see everything that you see in in those pictures where you see the kind of the cloud of galaxies um, but being able to just see that projected on the entire plane, because I was like huddled up over a, one of the little windows with a blanket covering, <laughs> so no light, so no light could you know reflect off the window. Um, but if that was in the whole airplane, that would have been amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bringing back the magic to air travel because it is such an incredible experience. I think that would uh -huh. would go a long way. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, just other issues that people tend to have, you know, I know one thing I'm worried about a lot on planes is sanitation. Like, yeah, you know, sticking your hand into that front, you know, backseat pocket where every germ imaginable from every corner of the earth is just festering waiting for you. <laughs> um, so I could imagine situations where they greatly improve that sanitation, um, mm. especially if they had more like private seating or you know, like we had talked about where the pods just load into, that would give the crew more time to actually clean these things out rather than just like shuffle people right back in. Right. Yeah. Um, and the other uh, thing too, to think about in terms of like health is the, all the radiation you're exposed to when yes. you're flying all the time. So if there's, I think at some point, hopefully people can, or, you know, scientists can develop something to maybe go over the top or kind of fit around the the capsule of the plane 
and protect you know everyone and especially yeah. the pilots because the pilots are up there a lot and oh yeah the pilots and the flight attendants high, yeah they all have abnormally high uh, rates of cancer and oh, other yeah. things especially uh, pregnant mothers are, are really uh, exposed yeah. to that so mm-hmm. yeah radiation exposure the other big issue is especially with older passengers they'll get blood clots especially in their oh, ankles yeah. because yeah. the ergonomics are so bad and there's so little space for them to move their legs that, you know, they just get these blood clots in their ankles. It all drains down there and then they'll have mm-hmm. a heart attack. Maybe they'll have a stroke and that's it. And I have actually heard stories about, you know, people who have waited their whole lives saving up all their money so that they can finally travel the world. And then when they finally went and did it, on the first flight they just died (laughs) oh wow so the way to solve that you know first aside from just making the seats better so you actually have room to stretch out your Uh legs is health monitoring and this is something that's also been proposed where you can imagine like for instance when you have your your arms in the armrest it can assess your health your your, uh you know your heartbeat patterns and you know there are other you know more deep uh, health tech things yeah. we could do, but that's that's a big challenge as well for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree because there are definitely are a lot of health drawbacks to flying a lot. Um, so it would be it would be really good if we could, you know, especially if there was some sort of AI uh, doctor, medical care, you know, robots that could that could help in case of an emergency if there's no doctor on board. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, they could easily partner up with One Medical or, or any of these companies yeah. that, that do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the uh, the military stuff, too, unless you had something else. Yeah, um, well, I just want to say one other thing on, on uh, commercial. And mm-hmm. that is... Actually, I guess this, this is relating to any sort of aircraft. It's not just commercial. Mm-hmm. But there's one trend that very few people are talking about that I find fascinating, which is how the jet streams are changing as a result of climate change. Oh, yeah. So for those who don't know, if you travel, let's say from LA to New York, the plane will actually fly north up to the northern part of the United States so that it can take advantage of the jet stream. And what the jet stream is, is it's this um, current of air that moves across the top part of North America and swirls around the earth. And this is essentially what creates, you know, weather patterns. And so when planes are flying with the jet stream, they'll purposefully go towards it so they can have a faster flight. That's, you know, but if they're coming back, like let's say you're coming back from New York to LA, they'll fly south to avoid the jet stream. And one thing that's been, people have been noticing as a result of climate change is that the jet stream is getting much more powerful. And basically uh-huh. the more that there is a disparity in between the temperatures of the poles, the faster mm-hmm. this jet stream tends to move. And so, you know, f- you know, for instance, one of my friends said that his last flight from LA to New York was a full hour less than it was, you know, has ever been in he's, when he's ever traveled in the past. Wow. And likewise, coming back is about a full hour longer than it's ever been in the past. 
Now, this isn't always the case. It depends on the weather mm -hmm. of uh, the given day. But as a broad trend, the jet streams are getting more powerful. And so that is going to lead to faster flight times when you're traveling from the West Coast to the East Coast and slower mm -hmm. flight times when you're traveling from the East Coast to the West Coast. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I imagine if it gets more and more powerful, you know, everything is just going the um, the routes of planes are going to completely change also. I mean, I don't foresee this happening, but if you had a really long flight that was <clears throat> almost halfway around the world, but it was into the jet stream, it might be better off going the other way around the world, you know, even right. though you go you go over halfway. That's really interesting though. I, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's why it would be great if everything was centrally controlled, like across countries. And they already kind of do this. I mean, they talk to one another, but, you know, yeah, it would be planes really... are a little better than a lot of or yeah. that aviation is a lot better than a lot of industries. Right. But... Yeah. So anyways, getting into the, the military and private sector stuff. So mm. I'll start with SpaceX because SpaceX okay. is awesome. Yep. And so SpaceX has this plan to launch a BFR, which Elon Musk calls big fucking rocket. <laughs> and the idea is that this ginormous rocket can take people all the way across from New York to Shanghai in 39 minutes. Jesus. And the way this thing works is that you get into the rocket, it shoots you out of the atmosphere with the full, you know, jet <clears throat> rocket power all the way out of the atmosphere. You have this intense, like three uh, X, your, your mass is like pushing against you as you're uh -huh. escaping the earth's atmosphere. So you're literally glued to your seat. Some people throw up. Some people think it feels amazing, <laughs> like butterflies in their stomach. Uh, you know, so, so it's not for everyone. Yeah. But then after those first couple minutes, boom, weightlessness. You look out your window, you see outer space. You see the moon like you've never seen it. You see blue Mother Earth beneath you. And 39 minutes later or, you know, 30 minutes later or whatever, you re-enter Earth's atmosphere, have another super intense experience where you're pushed to the back of your seat. <laughs> you know, you're feeling those butterflies and then you land safely. And, you know, this is obviously not for everyone, uh, but it's a cool option. Like if there is some serious emergency, like let's say, you know, we know a nuclear bomb is coming for us and we need to evacuate the top White House officials or, uh -huh. you know, or if it's just someone who wants to have a unique experience or, mm. you know, really wealthy businessmen or whatever it is, it's a cool option. And it kind of shows that the future of aviation really is space in a lot yeah. of ways. Yeah, I agree. And especially if you think about these extreme long-term uh, flights or space flights that are going to take place between one here in Mars and then two to potentially other solar systems. I think, was it Alpha Centauri that's the next closest solar yep. system? Um, you know, we're going to have basically people living on these these planes essentially or these rockets essentially so you know then we need to talk about the whole next level of in-flight experience yeah because yeah. they're literally living on board for potentially 
several years or maybe even like I would say decades. it takes a year to get to Mars and takes a year to get back and you know it probably takes you a while to build your actual civilization mm-hmm. so yeah I mean it's got to be livable for a long time um, another thing that's kind of interesting about how this is all changing so you know when I was a kid like 12 years old or whatever, I thought this stealth bomber was like the coolest plane. <laughs> like, you know what that looks like? It's got yeah. like that V shape and it just looks yeah. awesome. That is going to be totally obsolete in a few years. And the reason is that radar detection is getting so good that mm-hmm. none of these stealth planes can go undetected anymore. It's already a known fact that, you know, China pretty much knows whenever we try to, you know, have some unidentified planes because they're looking at things from all angles, not just from the ground. They're also looking at it from space, which is above these stealth, yeah. quote unquote, stealth planes <laughs> and radar technology yeah. and machine learning systems and AI. They're just so much better that there's really no reason to create stealth mm-hmm. planes anymore. Yeah. Um, so I thought I that mean, was that's kind of good. Trend. I mean, it's good that everyone kind of knows what everyone's up to. Then, it makes it it makes uh, starting wars harder and false, you know, like really uh, quick attacks harder, right. um, which, you know, I guess there's more surveillance. But if it's kind of like the Cold War, where if, you know, one side yeah. can't take action on the other side because it's mutually assured destruction, if that's what ensures the peace, you know, I don't really know exactly how I feel about that, but. It's, it's definitely interesting to think about how good that stuff is getting these days. Right, right. Yeah, so and another metric that people will typically think about with like, what are the coolest military planes? So we already did like stealth planes. You know, the fastest mm-hmm. plane ever is also something people like to talk about. Yeah. And so the fastest plane currently that, you know, you can actually put a human in and it's not like a spacecraft is the North American X-15. And this plane can go way faster than the speed of sound, which, you know, for those who don't know, if it's like Mach whatever, that means it's like faster than the speed of sound. Yeah, Mach 1 means the speed of sound. Mach 1 is the speed of sound. Mach 2 is is two times the speed of sound. Right, so So I believe this is Mach 3 or Mach 4. Wow. So it's quite fast. So like 21... 2,100 miles per hour. It's about 700 miles per hour, I believe, for speed of sound. Yeah, I mean, uh, this this thing can wow. seriously <laughs> move. And, uh, you know, my first question when I heard about this is, well, why don't we just make airplanes that can travel that fast, which may have been a dumb question. But <laughs> I guess there's a couple of reasons. You know, one is it's not that economical to use that much fuel to make it go that fast. It's like not really worth it from an ROI perspective for airlines. But another thing is that whenever a plane goes beyond the speed of sound, there's a sonic boom that occurs. And this is not something you want in your local neighborhood to to happen (laughs) frequently. Yeah. But an interesting development that's happening with the world's fastest planes is they're now finding ways to go beyond the speed of sound without a sonic boom. So it's not quite there yet, but they're finding ways to like, I don't know how they do it, but... Do they, they might like manipulate the, the sound waves in front 
of the plane or something. I don't know. That's really interesting. Yeah, I need to dig deeper into it, but but they're finding ways to go in a you know fly in a smooth enough manner that you don't create a sonic boom, but you still achieve those supersonic speeds. Wow. What? So did the Concorde ever achieve? Uh, it was beyond the speed of sound, correct? This was the plane, the commercial plane, like back in the 90s, I think, and maybe early 2000s that got decommissioned because it was pretty dangerous relative to other. Um, and I think also the sonic boom, potentially. Yeah, the Concorde uh, was, was Mach 2, and it sat, it, it, it could fit 92, like about 100 passengers. Okay. Um, yeah, it flew for 27 years, and then... I don't know why they I don't know why they took it down. I think they had like a couple of really serious crashes. Maybe right, maybe right. maybe it was something else, but at least um my is from what I recall it was They saw, apparently they cited low passenger numbers, slump in air travel following September 11th and rising manufacturer costs. Um Oh, I didn't realize they Oh, I guess okay, I mean, that's they, what they said, you know, who knows what yeah. the real reasons are. Mhm. Yeah. But, you know, this is all showing us that it is possible to go supersonic. It's not something that they offer today, but it is something that we could potentially figure out in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I think there are uh, companies working on Concorde number two. I, I couldn't find the name of this company, but I remember reading about it a few months back. Um, but we might even have like Concorde V2 at some point in the future, especially with a more um, global economy um, from a couple decades ago, it might actually be economically feasible at this point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, the other the other metrics, so you got the fastest plane, the stealthest plane, and then, you know, the most deadly plane is mm -hmm. obviously just whatever bomb it happens to be carrying, but, you know, an H-bomb right, is currently yeah. the greatest, so, so that kind of goes without saying, but it's, you know, also terrifying and it shows why the Air Force is still so important today. Oh, yeah. Because if push comes to shove, we do need someone to go fly that over there or at least mm -hmm. to, you know, pilot the drone to go over there. Right. Um, yeah. And then I guess one other thing before we get into the future scenarios, we should talk a little more about the Air Max crash and why it's a problem and what it's sort of shows that might be a bigger problem with the industry okay yeah so the air max the reason that it had crashed twice now was because they had implemented new software that self-adjusted the position of the nose of the plane relative to the sensors that measured the air coming on top and below the wings and there was a bug in this system so that basically when the pilot was trying to bring this plane up, the system would push it down. And this up and down momentum would keep happening over and over again. And that's how they realized that a bug caused this crash. Because they looked in the black box, they saw that it was the same exact type of behavior as in the previous crash. And that's why they ended up recalling all of these Air Max planes. Now, the reason I find this interesting is because it shows that we're in this sort of middle transition period between having fully manual planes and fully autonomous planes where yeah. it's now like it's literally a human fighting against the machine to fly you to where you need to go. 
And so I actually think it's going to be much safer once we go fully autonomous because you're not going to have this back and forth. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, however, that also opens up to the plane being hacked, especially if there's a notable or influential person on board. You can imagine certain organizations spending a lot of effort to be able to hack that particular plane at that particular day. Mm-hmm. So that's a concern. Yeah. I mean, so in terms of autonomous vehicles, I would, I don't know the nature of the software that that's running these, these planes, but I would imagine that it's not what we think of as artificial intelligence or machine learning where it's kind of a black box algorithm. I imagine that, the software has very specific rules. Like if we have this input, then we need to do exactly this. And that's specified by people. And that sort of AI system and that sort of control system tends not to work in really dynamic environments where things are changing all the time. So I'm, you know, I would hope that the AIs and the the software that it's running and driving and controlling planes is more a learned thing. So it learns what to do, sort right. of like how Tesla does. Tesla doesn't go in and hard code. If you're at, you know, if you see this octagon, you stop. You know, a red octagon, you stop. Right, or, right. or an upside down triangle, you yield. Like there's there are these. Um, there's just better ways to do it. And I, I would imagine that in the future, it's going to be more AI driven than mm. just rules based like it probably was there, which is hopefully going to be more prone to attacks like, I mean, hacking. There are, um, I mean, there are ways to hack sort of system AI systems, but it's a lot less straightforward because you, mm. you need to somehow give the system input that makes it behave in a in some predefined predetermined way that you know it's hard to actually determine what that way is because it is a black box especially if there's you know millions and millions of miles trained on this on this system Uh you'd have to input a lot of bunk data to get to a conclusion like a crash Mm -hmm. so i think you're right and and it does sound like they've hard-coded the software because they said that oh it wasn't receiving the appropriate sensor information. But if this was a machine learning model, it would know that, hey, when you're taking off, don't turn the nose down. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, don't just yeah. rely on the sensors. Have some other, you know, fallbacks. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so and- I'm with you. Well, I think that's a good place to take a quick break and then get into the worst case, best case, and most likely future scenarios. All right, let's get into the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. So, Justin, what do you think is the worst case scenario for the future of aviation? Yeah, so my worst case focuses on the environmental impact of air travel. So, what I was thinking is that the. So. Over the next, let's say, 20, 30 years, air travel doesn't get as clean as we hoped. Like, it it still burns a lot of fossil fuels. And so you told me about a statistic the other day. Was it something like one seat 
on a on a single plane you know if you if you have one if you buy one yeah. seat it's like 80,000 miles or something no, so driving in so a car yeah so it's one seat on a on one flight is the equivalent of 8 months worth of driving as far as how much fuel you're using wow yeah so so it's a massive footprint <laughs> it it's and that's kind of uh what inspired this cuz i think i think uh the the pace of technology for all these different things that we've been talking about are not going to go at the same speed. Mm -hmm. I think people will get the lowest hanging fruit first, which is probably not going to be alternative energy sources for planes. Um, what I imagine will happen is we see a huge spike in flight traffic. So we're going to have a lot more planes, but still using the same dirty electricity or the same dirty energy. Um, and that's kind of the worst case is we just, you know, drastically Im increase the pollution from planes. Yeah. And, and it just uh, exaggerates all of the issues we're seeing now. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's basically it. And in addition to all of that, the noise pollution from planes, especially flying over forests and, other areas like that that can disrupt the wildlife there um so yeah that's that's kind of uh, my worst case yeah so i definitely hear you on the environmental stuff i think that's a big that's a big challenge mm -hmm. it also brings to mind an elon musk quote where he said that having a bunch of things flying around over your head is not exactly an anxiety reducing experience yeah. uh -huh. so even just from like a normal quality of life, you know, not even thinking about the environment, having mm -hmm. all these planes above you all the time, you know, it creates a lot of noise, it creates visual pollution, and it creates safety concerns if one of these planes comes down on your head. Um, mm -hmm. That's not a good thing. So I actually, as far as transportation, I would be very sparing in use of planes. Yeah. I think I'd be much more receptive to, you know, drones and small aircrafts that, especially if they're solar powered and really, or, or electric or quiet, like delivery drones. I'm actually, I don't have a big problem with that, Yeah. but I do have a problem with things that are, you know, big and noisy and potentially yeah. unsafe. So that's how I, that's my worst case for the environmental side. As yeah. far as just the social aspect of it, I really see the you know the trends of air travel as potentially going the route of Big Brother. You know, we saw a little bit of that with how China uses facial recognition to track every single person. It's all great. Like, you know, who doesn't want to have a more efficient, personalized experience going to the airport that's just for them, mm -hmm. so long as you trust the government, right? If you don't yep. trust the government, then having them track you every which way and being able to control where you go, which countries you're allowed to go to, you know, you know, using data mining to see your travel patterns and, and flagging you when maybe you shouldn't be flagged and all of these sort of surveillance, you know, privacy concerns that could really go in a bad direction if we're not careful. Mm. So that's my, that's my worst case scenario. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that also. Uh, what do you think for the best case? Best case scenario. So the best case scenario is 
the funny thing is that it's pretty much it's pretty similar to the worst case technology wise because I think the technology is going to get way better regardless. Uh-huh. The difference is that there's a good government in place, so it actually has it, it's actually has the right incentives and the right intentions. But yeah, I mean my my ideal scenario for air travel would be a situation where you know, you take you or you hail a self-driving car to come to your door. It takes you right to the airport. They've already screened you completely because you've done the, you know, the clear background check or whatever. They don't have to do it again. So you literally just walk right to your gate. And if you have to put your luggage through, they they are already developing CT scanners that would make it so you don't have to take out anything. You don't have to take out your laptop, you don't have to take out toiletries, anything. Because it can scan it, it creates a 3D model so you can see it from all yeah. angles. And it can also, it also knows what types of materials are in there. So okay. all you do is, you know, you put your bag through, takes a second, you go to your gate, and you just sit in your little pod, whatever you're gonna actually be sitting on in the airplane. You get nice and comfy, and then whenever your time for your flight is, that pod just lowers into the plane, and it just takes off and then you get to your destination you know the pod comes out and then you just hail your self-driving tesla and it just takes you to your destination so it basically it removes all the friction of the current aviation paradigm is my best case scenario yeah i like that a lot so i i had a couple of uh similar points i i also touched on this a little bit earlier sure but um the first thing is, you know, the opposite of the, the environmental issues is that we do come up with a purely clean energy source for planes to run on. And they're also quiet. I think both of those things are key. Um, but if we have that, then planes can be flying more frequently all over the place. So you can um, be boarding planes all the time. Like you have a plane that's leaving to London every hour you know and the cost of this flight is so low and um maybe the um the people that are trying to get on can decide like that day if they want to take this flight over to london or maybe it's so frequent that you can even commute from new york to london for work you know it's just um really good really fast really clean air travel um, and all of this kind of makes the assumption that the security, the logistics, everything about the um, flight plan and the uh, the airport and all of that is locked down. Um, but I just think with the movement towards a more global economy and it just a, everyone is a citizen of the world, like flying is important because we can go visit somewhere else. And right now, that's kind of the bottleneck in travel mm -hmm. is if I want to go to, if, if I want to visit China or if I want to visit Singapore or something, you know, somewhere in Asia, I, right now I'm just, I'm not making that decision because I don't want to fly and it's so expensive um, to just do it on a whim. But I'm hoping that in the best case, everything is just kind of locked down and quick and efficient that we can do stuff like that and anybody can do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the most likely scenario? Mm -hmm.
most likely scenario. Uh, so I think the likely scenario is eventually we do move towards the best case. Um, I, like you said, the technology is just going to keep getting better and better. Um, it is just going to be economically um, irresponsible to stick to fossil fuels um, once the prices go, you know, way too high. So even if you're not an environmentalist, you're just going to have to suck it up and, you know, make an electric plane. Um, but I do think in the short term, we'll probably see some pretty drastic um, slow. I mean, I think we'll see an increased de demand of plane rides, but yeah. the logistics of the airports themselves, I don't see that improving for a vast majority of airports. I know there are some fairly good airports, um, but I think until we have sort of a global governance where people do have, or governments and whoever the governing body of this would be, you know, has access to the information of the people getting on the planes, um, I think it's just going to I don't know. I think it'll be a sort of inefficient process the same way it is now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my most likely scenario is, is similar in that, I mean, if you look at the broad trends, more people are flying each year. So the demand is going up. The f cost of travel is getting cheaper over time. And a lot of what that vectors towards is a very low cost low happiness experience it's like a lot of yeah. people you know think of like southwest airlines or you know yeah <laughs> or ryanair is even worse i mean you know and if you also look at another chart that i think is fascinating is this chart that that measures the price of airline and then mm. with the the price with fees so with all of these add-ons okay and the two, you know, up until the last, you know, 10 years, the prices were exactly the same. They didn't have all these hidden fees, but there are more and more airlines that are creating a bigger disparity between the price you see online and the price that actually gets charged on your card. And a lot of this uh -huh. is sort of penalizing people who want to get the lowest cost air travel. So if you're mm -hmm. someone who's looking at Skyscanner or Expedia or whatever you're you know, site of choices, and your mindset is, what is the lowest price possible? You're going to have a terrible experience, and you're probably going to end up paying a very similar price to what the other options are. So I think there is going to be this sort of tiered system of, if you signal to the AI that you're someone who just cares about cost, you're going to get nickel and dime from a million directions you know, whereas, or, you know, added fees, I guess that's the opposite of nickel and diming, but, mm. or if you're someone who signals that you're willing to pay a little bit more, you're going to get treated way better. So this sort of two tiered system, I think is going to be a trend. Another trend is that there has pretty much been a duopoly between Boeing and Airbus. And I think this duopoly is going to break not in the next 10 years, but probably in the next 20 or 30 years via the Chinese state-owned airline of, I forget what it's called, Comac or something like that. Yeah, I'm um, not sure. Yeah, but I think that actually will be really good for competition because it'll make, you know, 
Comax, the Chinese airline, was developed like in the last 10 years, whereas mm. these Boeings and Airbus, they literally haven't changed their designs since like the 1960s. Um, it's pretty incredible. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. they still work, but there hasn't been a whole lot of innovation because it's a duopoly. So <laughs> right. I think there's going to be greater competition, but that also you know, leads to concerns of you know, how much influence China has and how they deal with surveillance and different citizens. And so there's a lot of concerns there, but overall, I think it's going to vector towards a better experience for everyone. We are talk about three Sounds very great. important like things. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end it. Has this has been what is Future Aviation. And what will inevitably Thank you all for happen. listening. The past, the present, and the future.